Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. A few months ago, I took um, a couple of friends to the Lake District. We, uh, we were going to have some time spending enjoying the Lord and each other, and I booked us in to go on an off-road Jeep uh, adventure, excursion, three hours in a World War II green you know, no power steering. It's got a steering wheel the size of the moon. You know, you know the kind of thing. And we had this uh, fella who came in with us and he was the instructor. And we took it in turns to go up roads that had been long abandoned, um, huge boulders. And he'd be like, just, just go at it, go at it. And then he'd like, you know, it'd chuck you about. You'd be banging your head off the, off the uh, kind of roll cage inside. It was a real adventure. And your hands are like shaking from the experience. And uh, we got about halfway around, and he said, there's something different about you guys. What's, um, what's the crack? What is it? And we're, we're like, <laughs> opportunity, go for it. And so I said, oh, we're, we're all Christians. He said, oh, I know some Christians. Um, my, one of my biggest clients is a, a group of Christians that booked me out for days at a time to take their kind of men on on." on these excursions and they spend like seven or eight hours in the car in this jeep going around like the lake district on all these back roads and over hills and mountains and through streams and stuff and he said the only thing is that they're a bit different they're not quite what I expected and we were like what do you mean he said when we stopped for lunch he said the first time we ever got out of this van and went inside and picked this pub and uh, we went inside and um, I ordered the food for them and when I came to join them at the table they said oh no you you can't. You need to sit at a separate table. And he was like, uh, what? And they, and they said, no, no, we, the rules of our, our faith would be that you can't sit with us when we eat. And, uh, and he said, are you guys like that then? And we're like, oh, I'm like racking my brain. You know when you like do a quick theological scan and you're like going through all the scriptures in my mind. I'm like, do we sit with sinners when we eat? I said, I don't think we are those types. We are, we are a wel- of the welcoming variety. And he goes, what is with, with those guys? I'm like, I don't really know who they are. And, um, and so it was fascinating. He said, what I don't get is we've sat really close to each other for like eight hours in a car, but stopped for lunch and then there's new rules apply. And I was like, no, it doesn't really make sense to me either. Today we're in Luke chapter 5. We're going to start from verse 27. I hope you'll be able to see uh, why that story was relevant. It's a, a, a passage dominated by Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees. Just to let you know what the word Pharisee means, it, it means the separated ones. They are a Jewish sect. Their hope is that they would be saved by their holiness or their set-apartness. Or that their holiness and their devout obedience to the law would trigger the arrival of a Messiah. They believe that the Jewish people are under Roman occupation because the Jews have not kept their law and have not kept themselves separate and therefore are unclean. They believe that the the Jews had not followed God's law properly and therefore they faced his judgment which was to be ruled by the Romans. 
their view was if only people would separate themselves. If only people would separate themselves from the world. If they would follow these strict rules, then we would be saved. And their rules are so, so strict. There's 341 laws that the Pharisees had to abide by, and particularly around the Sabbath. You know, that separate day, that that set-apart day that was devoted to God. There were so many rules attached to that one. Here's just a few. If you were to take a safety pin and poke it through your clothes to maybe do them up, that was considered sewing and therefore work and therefore not to be done, and to do so would be to sin. They said holding false teeth in your mouth on the Sabbath would be the same as carrying a burden, and therefore to wear false teeth on the Sabbath would be to work, and therefore sin. If you were to walk around with a walking stick, and if your walking stick left a groove or a mark in the, the, the dust of the ground, then that was the same as plowing. You were considered someone who had been plowing, and to do that on the Sabbath would be the same as to work and therefore to sin. So you can imagine how crazy these guys are when they see Jesus heading out to a tax collector heading out to the tax booth. These guys are the same guys that have witnessed that amazing miracle that we looked at last time where some blokes removed the roof of a house and lowered their friend down. They'd had the front row view, do you remember? They'd come on their excursion just to see Jesus do wonderful things and this man had been lowered down before them where Jesus had healed, no, forgiven his sins and healed his sickness. And they've not left Jesus alone they've not let him out of their sight they're like where he goes we go let's follow this guy and uh, he heads out to and approaches a tax booth a tax booth of a guy called Levi and they're wondering is he gonna go and pay his taxes is that the thing or maybe he's gonna go and and grip the tax collector drag him out of his booth and tell him what a sinner he is and give him a hearty rebuke because do you know about what the tax collectors were how they were considered they were seen as the enemy the enemy of the Jewish people they were seen as traitors even though they were born Jews and they would have been circumcised Jews they worked for the occupier They were rejected by their people. They were considered unclean. They collected the taxes of the Jews and gave it to the Romans, but they didn't do it fairly. They always took more. They took bits for themselves. You know, when Zacchaeus comes and encounters Jesus, he says, I'll give back four times what I took because he's probably taken four times what he should have taken. They're rip-off merchants, ripping off the people of God and therefore seen as ripping off God himself. And they are called sinners. Sinners was a phrase not just for people who did wrong, but sinners were those who had taken the law of God and said, can't even get close, so I won't even try. They let go of the law of God and were following their own way. They were lawless. Lawless people, and Jesus approaches the booth. What's he gonna do? Levi is sitting as Jesus approaches, and Jesus just says two words Follow me. 
Amazing. Follow me. That's it. Nothing more. And then it says, Levi, uh, and leaving everything, Levi rose and followed him. Like, follow him where? Follow him to do what? Follow him why? Does he understand what he's doing? Does he comprehend the nature of the call? Follow me was enough. Follow me was enough for the dirty, the backstabbing, the traitor, the extortionist, the sinner. It was enough for him to drop all that he was doing and come and follow. He lays down his calculator and his cash and he follows Jesus. This is why Levi, or Matthew as he's soon to be called, gets called the patron saint of accountants. Well done, accounts team. He's your guy. I wish follow me was enough for me. I wish I could hear the voice of Jesus say, follow me, and that would be enough. But you know, I'd have a ton of questions. I'd be like, follow where? Uh, Follow how long? Follow me, can I bring my family? Follow me, like how long? Like, Like which way are we going? Like what will we be doing exactly? Is this going to be a good thing? How do the plans look? Could you just tell me a little bit more? But there's something in the words of Jesus, as he says, follow me, that cuts straight to the very heart of Matthew. Past all his sin, past all his preconceptions, straight to the heart of Matthew. Follow me. And he is compelled to move. I imagine he stands to his feet, clears his desk, and begins to walk. And he has no idea of the journey that is to come. And Levi is incredible because that night, I wonder at what point he has a discussion with Jesus. And he said, I'd really like to just have a, a final send-off. Um, let's put some food on at my house. And so he like, throws himself a leaving party. And he invites all his like, other tax collector's mates. He's like, come to my house. I'm going to put on a, a, a... No, it wouldn't have been a hog roast. Let's, a, a, beef, a beef roast. Let's put on a giant cow on a spit and let's eat. Like I remember, I used to be in finance. I was awful, as Andy always mentions, but there was a day when I left finance to go and be a church leader. And I remember that day when you kind of hand your notice in and you say to all your, your pals, I'll be leaving now. And they're like, oh, where are you off to? I'm going to be a church leader. And they're like, you're a freak. You, you are an actual weirdo. That was like a weird thing on your last day. And they're like, so you won't, you won't be doing this again. You will be a vicar. Yes, that is what I will do. But I love Levi because he just wants all his mates to meet Jesus. Like he's met Jesus, he's encountered the Christ, the Messiah, and he, and, he, and he wants his mates to spend some time with him. You imagine how excited Levi is. He's like, come and meet the guy who said, come follow. And I was like, I'm following. Imagine he's overflowing with excitement. And he just wants to expose his mates to the Messiah, to the Christ. He wants them to have some quality time, so he throws a party. You know, in Jewish culture, there aren't many more intimate things than the meal table. And sitting at a table with other people, which is why of those 341 laws 
of the Pharisees, 229 of those rules are about the dinner table. Nearly 70% are about what, what you do and how you fellowship around food, what you can eat, what you can't eat, who you can eat with, and so on. 229 rules. Why? Because the table was sacred. The table is where people share their lives. The, the table is where you really get to know people well. And therefore, the rules of the, that were put in place were to protect the table, to make sure that you didn't eat with the wrong people and eat in the wrong way. And so you can see why the Pharisees are so unhappy. They're the law keepers. Keep yourself holy, and then we can make the Messiah come. Keep yourself separated, and then we can all get to heaven. And they follow Jesus as he attends a party, and it's almost like they look in on him, and he's chilling reclining at the table and he's surrounded by traitors, surrounded by these tax collectors, surrounded by evil, dirty men, the disgraceful, the unworthy, the rejected, and Jesus is just chill. And he's touching them. What is he doing? And he's breaking bread with them. He's eating what they give him and he's sharing what he has, talking to them, listening to them, laughing with them getting to know them and being known by them. Jesus is so awesome. I love how he surrounds himself with those who are unworthy, willing to share himself with those who are undesirable and undeserving. And the Pharisees can't control themselves and they like grab some of the disciples and they begin to question him. And it obviously attracts Jesus' attention. And when he was asked by the Pharisees, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have, come to call the, uh, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's your dose of the upside down kingdom. Jesus didn't call the righteous, but he came to call sinners. How unbelievable is that? That the holy God sent from the holy heaven, the holy of holies, where all day and every day he has angels singing the same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one sent from the holy of holies surrounds himself with the unholy, the unrighteous, the sinners, and he is their savior. What a savior! He comes for the worst and not the best. The Pharisees are those whose very belief system involves, uh, revolves around righteousness. And they're being told by the Messiah that he didn't come for them. Like how incredibly hard is that to hear? You've been spending the very best of your life trying to keep yourself in order and keep yourself holy. And then the Messiah shows up and he goes, not for you. See, they don't need him. They have a salvation plan. And Jesus doesn't fit into their plans. And so he didn't come for those who were playing the perfect game, but he came for the losers of the game, those who failed and fell out. He comes for those who needed saving and not those who didn't think they did. You know, if only they had realized in that moment that they too were sinners in need of a savior. 
He's not saying it's just not for you. He's just saying, realize I came for sinners and that can be you. But they had a system. They had a salvation plan and they did not need a savior. And therefore they trust their plans over the saving power of Jesus. How often do we do this? Trust our plans above the power of Christ. And so they begin to question Jesus on fasting, and he announces that he's the bridegroom. If you don't know what that is, that's his first indicator that he's the Messiah. That's the first time he names himself. Because if they knew their scriptures, they would have realized that the bridegroom is the Messiah. And he says, why would they fast while the bridegroom is in town? I love that Jesus comes for his bride. And at this point, it's not a righteous bride, not a separated bride, but an ugly bride and a messed up bride. He comes for sinners. And he tells them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch it on an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch, uh, oh, sorry, and, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into an old wineskin. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skin. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, one, uh, no new wine must be poured into a new wineskin. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new, for they say the old is better. What he's saying is, you're the old garment, hoping that the Messiah will patch you up. But I'm a new garment. I'm cut from a different cloth. Ever wondered where that comes from? Jesus is cut from a different cloth. He's not made for the old. And so if you try and stitch him into the old way of the law, the whole thing will tear apart. And he says, you want the old wine. You've tasted the old wine and you think that will do, but I'm the new wine. And if you put me into an old wineskin, what will happen is the thing will break. I'm a new thing. Do you see that I am the new thing? I do not fit your system. You may have a salvation plan, but I am the author of salvation. The author of of salvation will become a traitor in order to save traitors. He will become the unclean in order to save the unclean. He will become a sinner in order to save sinners. He will become despised in order to save the despised. These are my people and I will be their salvation. I want you to know how radical Jesus is. You know, sometimes when we hear this story about a tax collector, when we read the stories, we're like, oh, maybe it's, you know, when you get your pay packet, you know, when you get your, your pay slip and you open it and you realize how much the pay, the tax man has, has paid. And you think, oh, it's like the tax man. It's like um, Philip Hammond. He's the chancellor of the exchequer, if you didn't know. It's like him coming for tea. No, it is not. It is far more radical than that. Anyone heard of uh, a, a lady called Shamina Begum? I've got a picture for her, hopefully, coming up behind me. Is she there? Recognize that face? She left England in pursuit of ISIS. She was known as the ISIS bride. She married a terrorist. She became pregnant with his baby. She gave birth to his child. 
Then her husband was killed. Isis was scattered. Now Shemina wants to return to England. She wants to come back. But it doesn't take much to, on a, of a search around the internet or go on social media. You'll see how this lady is described. She's considered to be hated, despised, rejected. She is a traitor. And I'm not trying to tell you differently. But when Jesus meets Levi, he's a traitor. He's not the tax man. He's a traitor of the nation. They despise him so much that he should die. Now, if you read a meme or two about this lady, they're hoping, people hope that she will be killed, that she deserves to die like Isis. And maybe you feel the same. I'm not sure. But I'm sure if Jesus encountered this lady, he would say, come, follow. Do you see how radical Christ is? Do you see what a wonderful savior Jesus Christ is? He would say, come follow. And if she followed and she welcomed him into his house to a bunch of her friends, he would sit and he would recline at the table and he would share food and fellowship with the most despised, the most hated and the most rejected of society. What a savior. Do you want a savior who would welcome a traitor? Do you want that guy to be your savior? Do you want a Messiah who would call the worst? The saving nature of Jesus is so wonderful. But I wonder how often we take for granted the, 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 the size and the magnitude of his grace and his mercy. I wonder if sometimes when we've been in the faith a while, we begin to set ourselves not against his grace, his vast love, his rich and wonderful grace and mercy. We begin to set his salvation against our behavior. If we're not careful, we become the Pharisees that begin to put a number of things in place which, by which we evaluate whether we're saved or not. If we're not careful, we begin to say, and maybe it isn't the same level of laws like the Pharisees. We don't begin to say, you know, if you drag your, your, your stick along the street, you've been plowing. We're not at that level. If you've got false teeth, don't worry. But what I'm saying is... Maybe you begin to say, if I attend church and if I read my Bible, then God is sweet with me that I'm in and that'll do. And maybe you're one of those people that I won't read Harry Potter just to keep myself pure or I'll stay away from Love Island because it does weird things to my mind. So I'll just set myself, a, I know a lot of you are like, I've been love, what Love Island, what are you on about? Particularly Judith. And, um, <laughs> but maybe, maybe you are, you know, it's the truth, you know, and... Um, but maybe you've set yourself some rules for living that highlight whether you think you're in, whether you think you deserve a savior. Are you worthy enough to be called by him? But it's manufactured and it's self-saving. And I finish by asking us, are you saving yourself or are you throwing yourself upon the mercy and grace of a savior who would save the worst of men and women? Lord, save us. Save us from self-righteousness. Lord, help us to see 
just how much we need you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace and mercy. We thank you that he left the holy of holies and came to sit amongst sinners, traitors, the despised and the hated. Help us to fall in love with him. Lord, we want to hear your voice speak to us. Speak to us as sinners and to hear your voice say, come follow. Lord, we don't want to follow our way. We don't want to follow a good path that we create for ourselves, hoping that it's enough to get us saved. We want to follow the way of the master. We want to walk in your steps. Lead us, Lord, on paths of righteousness for your sake. Lead us, Lord, away from ourselves and into your grace, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 